Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll consider evolving creativity with shamanism. Creativity is a much sought-after trait, yet sometimes it's difficult to access. Anyone that's ever aspired to be an author has probably experienced writer's block. What can you do when that which used to flow so freely from parts unknown suddenly runs dry? We're living in a time of intensifying challenges. Never have we been in greater need of creative solutions. What if a key to accessing our creativity could be found at will in an ancient form? With us this hour to explore shamanism and creative expression is Evelyn C. Reisdyke. Evelyn is an internationally recognized shamanic practitioner and best-selling author whose titles include The Norris Shaman, Spirit Walking, A Course in Shamanic Power, A Spirit Walker's Guide to Shamanic Tools, The Nepalese Shamanic Path, and her latest, Shamanic Creativity. Evelyn draws her inspiration from the wild coasts of northern New England, where she continues to manifest all manner of creative mischief. Her website www.spiritpassages.com. Evelyn, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. It's so nice to have you back on the show. It's actually great to see you in person. We've done so many things over the radio and on the phone, and I get to see you in person now. This is great. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's great on your end. <laughs> oh, yeah. All good. Oh, good. So I think we're going to have a good time today. Uh, shamanism and creativity are a very interesting topic. When you're a shamanic practitioner, whatever inspired you to take up the form? Well, that's a, a, a good story, actually. I hit the wall in my 30s, as many people do, and uh, became extremely depressed acutely, as they say in the medical profession. And I was uh, doing therapy twice a week. I had to take medication to sleep at night. It's the pre-Prozac days. And I was not feeling good enough yet. And I'm honestly a a very impatient person, having been born in in the metro area around New York. Um, So I looked at uh, the Open Center catalog, which is one of those places like Omega and places like Asilomar, where there's a great big catalog 
of 101 things that are going to improve your life. So I flipped through this. And, and at that point, I didn't even recognize half of them. But I came down to two. One was Zen archery, become the bow, become the target, become the arrow. And the other one was The Way of the Shaman with Michael Harner. Now, I had read his book in the 80s and was fascinated by it, but never really picked up that thread then. I thought, this is, this is a way to go. And I liken depression to being one of those cart horses or carriage horses that wears the blinders. They call them blinkers in uh, England. Your, your worldview gets narrow. And your, your feeling sensations also get narrow. So, you know, you have this feeling of almost collapsing in onto yourself. The very first journey I did, and bless his heart, Michael, who is now deceased, would spend most of the first day just telling stories. But when we finally got to lay down, and there were 150 of us in a dance studio, the experience of journeying took the blinders away, that, that restricted feeling in my body. And I said, I don't know what this is, really. But this is doing more in the last few minutes than all the months of therapy that I was doing. That's pretty amazing. So now, would you tell us just a little bit about Michael's background? I, I find it very interesting, you know, briefly. But oh, uh, yeah. yeah, Michael, yeah. Michael was an anthropologist who uh, did his studies with the uh, people who are now called the Shuar. He refers to them as the Hevaro in his book. And <clears throat> he learned to do shamanic journeys with ayahuasca. But if you don't get the remedy, not, not the tourist uh, version of ayahuasca, but the uh, indigenous version of ayahuasca where they make it very strong and you could die, um, you had to have a remedy in order to come back. And he had phenomenal experiences, but he wanted to see if other cultures did some other ways. So he did all these explorations in the Harvard Library and then he proceeded to um, test them out on his students. He taught for the new school, I think, back then. And he realized that drumming produces a similar kind of state as the visionary states that you get using an entheogen or psychotropic plant. Without risking your life. Without risking your life, you know, or, or being very ill while you're while you're using it and recently i don't have the the um, citations sitting here in this room but they have just written a paper a scientific paper that proves after all of these years i think he did his initial research in the, in the early 60s that the state achieved through drumming is absolutely parallel to the uh, the state that you would get using ayahuasca or any one of the other uh, plants that people use in order to uh, expand awareness. I don't now, call it altered consciousness. Now, Ellen, like, is, is that um, the measurable state? Are they measuring brain waves? Is this how they're scientifically proving it? They're, they're doing two things. One is measuring brain waves, but also the, uh, they do surveys like psychological surveys and what have you as part of these tests. And they're, the people are describing exactly the same kinds of experiences where you so, have those transcendental kind of experiences. So there's a consistency, even though these people aren't in communication with each other and aren't really necessarily studying the same form. Correct. And, and that's, it is interesting. And it's, it's fascinating to me because it lets me know that we are hardwired for these experiences, whether we realize it or not, we are meant to use all of our consciousness to really expand into the larger sense of who we are and that, that place where we, we connect with all that is. And you'll have, to, you'll have a sound in the background. We have a sidewalk plow in our town that is going by and taking up snow and ice. So if you hear that roaring in the background, folks, it's cold up here in Maine. <laughs> it's cold everywhere right now. <laughs> so um, shamanism is, is an interesting practice. Where all is it found, Evelyn? Uh, the, the word that we use here in the West is really from the Tungus Siberian uh, body of languages. But any culture that has a, an explicit person or persons 
whose job it is to transcend ordinary reality, to find those things that are not easily available using our ordinary senses. So I, I think back to our hunter-gatherer ancestors who had to solve the problems of finding food, finding shelter, finding water, uh, water sources, one of those things that a New Yorker finds hard to say without an accent, um, to find those as we were migrating around the planet. You know, the, the areas change, the plants change, the landscape changes. How do we know where to go? Uh, we tried to see the caribou migration in Canada one year, <clears throat> and they had set up, the people who hosted the trip had set up a, a lodge where the caribou had been coming for years. Caribou didn't come that way. So if we were on foot trying to intercept that herd for food, and we were following what they did all the other years, we would not have been successful. But that would have been a case where the shaman would expand their awareness to be able to perceive the direction to go in order to, to intersect with the herd. So in this example, Evelyn, is shamanism working like remote viewing? Remote viewing to me <clears throat> is another way of talking about journey. Remote viewing is, is a more recent 20th century, I think maybe middle 20th century um, way of describing being able to perceive things. And I don't even like to just use see because many people do perceive uh, in a visionary way, but there are plenty of others that uh, are able to receive information auditorily or with their entire bodies. So I think they're very parallel. Well, we're running, um, you know, close to the end here of this particular segment, but um, would you give, get a shot at telling us where is this information coming from? Where are people getting this information? Whether it comes in through their vision or their hearing or their sensations, where is it coming from? In my opinion, it comes from that larger sense of who we are. You know, I think we grow up with the idea that we have a, a spirit that enlivens our body, but it's kind of stuffed in us like a sausage, you know, being stuffed in a casing. I think of our, our animating force, that which makes us alive. And when it's no longer present, we are, you know, we are deceased. That enlivening essence, whatever we want to call it, that holds us. It infuses the body, but it also embraces the body. It's bigger than the body. It's a non-local energy, to use the scientific term. So here I sit in a point in time space, but we, each one of us exists not just in this point in time space, but beyond that. And when we can expand our conscious mind to that part of ourselves, that part is connected to everything. So we, we are expanding ourselves consciously to step into that larger sense of who we are, which at first can be disorienting. You know, if you're very... You know. to, say, to say the least, it is time for that break, but we will pick up on this in intriguing topic on the other side. So don't you folks go away. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to find past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.
Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing shamanism and creativity is Evelyn Reisdyke. Her website, www.spiritpassages.com. Evelyn, we were getting into where does this information come from? And we had gotten from our, um, uh, would it be safe for me to say energetic field? And if so, how far does that extend around our bodies? And when does it connect with what you were calling the unified field? <laughs> well, I, since I'm a shamanic practitioner, I do use the word spirit, but I think, you know, we, we live in Western culture, <clears throat> so we slice the bologna ever thinner, you know, <laughs> we compartmentalize and go, well, there's a whisker of a difference, so we'll give it a different name. That aspect of us, it, it transcends ordinary reality. It transcends our, our tools for measurement. It transcends all of that because it's non-local energy. There, um, there was a wonderful experiment done by the Institute of Heart Math. It's a great, great organization. And they were studying the effect of emotions on uh, our physicality and just how far that went. And so they had a donor DNA in a lab, lab A, and they also had a sample, the same, same donor's DNA in a lab half a mile away. They... Um, introduced the, the uh, DNA to a person who is very good in, in one lab, very good at um, eliciting emotional states. And when they were grateful, the DNA in lab A relaxed to a perfect confirmation. And when they were fearful or angry, expressing those feelings, feeling those feelings, the DNA wound tighter onto itself. So simultaneously, they have the exact same equipment. The lab B had the exact experience, the same results without any time lag. Now that's a half a mile. According to Greg Braden, the military was doing experiments with the same idea of inducing a fear response in people far away, uh, using that in the military, and they uh, may have gone as far as 50 miles. So this aspect of us kind of defies our logical mind. How can I be here sitting in a room and also be expanded and interconnected to everything? But quantum physics is starting to tell us these things. They use different language. They talk about, you know, the quantum plenum being something that we can arise things from all of this material is really recalling us back to what our deepest ancestors understood using different language, that we're far more than we think we are. And I think our challenge is to defy the information that comes from our senses, which reminds us that the world of who we are is small. We can only see visible light we can't see the whole rest of the electromagnetic spectrum. So we only see Roy G. Biv, you know. We only hear a narrow band of audible sound. Our dog and bats can hear above it. Whales and elephants can hear beneath it. We are fooled by our nervous system into thinking that our hands can touch and I won't clap them. <laughs> but we go like this, we can feel the warmth from our hands touching. But in truth, the atoms of this hand never touch the atoms of this hand, nor do they even touch each other in one hand. So our nervous system is how we've been defining reality. And, you know, it's a great way to savor the ordinary world. It's, it's a gift. And, we, you know, we hold on to those senses as long as we can. And we use eyeglasses and hearing aids and whatever else we might need to try to preserve them. But we have to remember as opposed to dismemberment, I always put that hyphen in, to remember that we're more than that. And we actually are experiencing more than that all the time. So is it a matter of, of learning to focus? Because as, as you're sitting here speaking, um, I think that everybody at one time or another in their life, whether it's in 
in dreams or in waking reality has had a sense that there is more going on, has had a premonition, has had a, a vision, has had um, a feeling that's coming from somebody else. Oh, my, my, my brother's not okay right now. Do you believe that everyone has this capacity? And if so, why did we quit using it? Yes, I do believe everyone has this capacity. And we, we need to be schooled on how to do it. And somewhere along the line, and, and uh, Jared Diamond, who wrote an article probably in the 90s, uh, reminds us that when we shifted from hunting and gathering to agriculture, it was a benefit in that we had a more, theoretically at least, a more dependable food source. But the drawback was we changed our entire way of looking at the world and ourselves. When we became farmers and later industrialists and post-industrialists, we started to divide the world up between good, good land and bad land, good weather and bad weather. This is mine, you stay away. Hunter and gatherers don't do the do don't live that way. And so we lost that sense in, in some ways of the feeling of being interwoven into everything, of understanding the animals and birds and the seasons in a different way. But because it's part of our onboard, um, what do they call it, standard equipment in a car, we can learn how to awaken it again. And that, go ahead. <laughs> so, so that awakening, um, we're seeing a lot of awakening in a lot of different areas. Does that have to do with health and frequency and alignment as well as just um, an experience that's an awakening one? It certainly is awakening for sure. But in my experience, it also gives me that profound sense that I am connected into everything. I'm connected into everything, not just intellectually, but on, in a felt sense. And I can communicate with all the beings around me in that way. I can step into relationship with the landscape in a whole different way. I can step into a re relationship with ancestors in a whole different way. Those that died years before I was born. My primary, the primary teacher I work with in Journeys is my great-great-grandmother, who was an herbalist, as well as a mother of seven children and taking care of grandchildren and running a rooming house. So, so this, Evelyn, this sounds to me like when we go from being your normal, average, everyday human being and start embracing and seeking out shamanic awakening, it seems to me like it would be very shattering, really. Our whole reality would have to shatter, wouldn't it? Shatter sounds destructive. And what I would say is it expands to the point where all of the issues that you have as a human being take up way less space. So you may have been struggling with a health issue. You may have been struggling with, oh, my job is just deadening or it's so hard. I'm, I'm a new mom and I'm raising these little kids and I feel like all of my energy is going to the children. And, you know, that, that moment when people have that, what about me? All of whatever, whatever is, is so pressing to us in our ordinary life suddenly has a much broader context. And in that broader context, it's like you've got, you've got elbow room to be able to approach it from a different way, perceive it in a different way. And for me, it's not so much that it explodes my, my ordinary way of perceiving because I still retain that as well. Suddenly it's like all these doors open that I didn't know were there. And it sounds, it sounds kind of like what people report coming back from a near death experience without having to die. Exactly. And I think we have those experiences because we're, we're suddenly shut off from our nervous system and our, our mind is being able to perceive that larger world. But there are better ways than shutting off our nervous system and stopping breathing, you know? And there, there are lots of different ways to do this. So I, I'm not trying to sell anybody on any particular way, but how to 
think about yourself in this new way and experience your larger self tends to also take away some fear because it's not, it's not that you have a sense of uh, fear is kind of compressive. Let me put it that way. Fear is something that can, can crunch you down so that you can't think you can't solve a problem. You, um, you may have feelings of grief or sadness or anger that accompany that feeling. And you are actually biochemically denied access to your upper brain when you're afraid. And, you know, judgment and blame and shame and all those things are just variations on a theme of fear. So you, you can't use the tool to be able to solve a problem. And when you now have this expanded experience, which I always find very renewing and loving, I have this, even when my teacher is giving me a what so, you know, I it still feel like it's, it's an elder working with me to perceive the situation differently. And that, that sort of takes the fear out of it. It also takes the fear out of my mortality. It takes well, the work. We're going to need to pick up on fear and mortality, which is an interesting topic, on the, on the other side of this break. So Evelyn and I will return to our discussion shortly. You stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to peruse our archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Evelyn Reisdyke. We're speaking about creative power of shamanism. Her website is www.spiritpassages.com. Evelyn, we were getting into speaking about fear and death. And as you were talking, one thing that really comes to me is most of our media is driven by fear. I mean, that's what excites people. And people are driven to making themselves afraid and freaked out. So does that mean that we're actually feeding ourselves something that puts us into a condition where we can't access these higher sources of information? Well, we can't access the higher, the higher brain. The, the upper part of our brain goes offline when we're in a stress reaction. And you're right. Our, our news, the way it's done now, since we don't follow the fairness doctrine anymore, is there to stimulate you to sit at the end of your seat and watch it and stimulate a fear response. When you are in a fear response, your, your entire body is experiencing um, a stress reaction. You have uh, raised blood pressure, um, more rapid uh, respiration, your uh, hormone of well-being, DHEA, goes down, your cortisol and adrenaline go up, and again, your brain goes offline. So you're much more likely to be led into something that you would not uh, be led into if you had all of yourself online. And we're so seeing just, the results of that, aren't we? We are. And mm -hmm. you know, the, 
we all experience fear, but we experience it differently than our deep ancestors. They were afraid of, you know, big cats eating them, you know, or it's the, it's the ice age and we haven't found a mammoth for a really long time and we may starve. So our fear is now like existential dread, or it's this kind of fear that's, that is um, pressed upon us in order to sell product on newscasts. They want us to stay tuned in so that the commercials for the trucks and the insurance and whatever else are their sponsors are seen by us. And I think a perfect example is um, news channels that have that crawl at the bottom of the screen. The all news all the time, even if it's news you've seen before. I, I learned this during uh, 9-11. We were teaching, we actually were on retreat with students. We uh, did not allow them to watch television uh, or listen to the radio except once to find out what was going on. And then we put them to work doing healing work. When we came back, they were not traumatized because they did not see the towers fall over and over and over and over and over, nor did they read that, that crawl at the bottom that would repeat the, the bad news just incessantly. So it, we need to do, I think, in our culture particularly, some hygiene around what input we get. You know, we're very good at taking a shower, washing our hair, uh, for those of you who smudge and do a kind of spiritual hygiene, I also think we need to withhold our energy from those things that allow us to be manipulated. And one that's, of the things, go that's, ahead. That's, that's such a good point. And yet it seems like we've become adrenaline junkies. Like we crave that kind of trauma in our lives to feel alive at this point. How do you suggest a person moves beyond that? And what would they replace it with? In, in some ways, it's a little like changing your, your, uh, your diet. You know, you, you've suddenly found out you have high cholesterol. And so now you have an impetus to maybe cut down on the bacon and eat more salad, right? I mean, that's a generality, but you get the idea. I think we have to begin to think of our, the way we work as an organism in a similar way. We cannot be our best selves when we're in fear. And so we need to restrict that input so that we aren't easily manipulated. And, you know, we're very good at, at most of us are doing a good job anyway, trying to make the adjustments as we age to what our body requires. The things we could get away with at 20, we can't get away with at 60. So it's like that, where we take a kind of personal responsibility for that's the, that's the key, isn't it? Is personal responsibility, and never has it been more important. I'm, I'd like to change gears a little bit. Um, yeah. Let's go back. You've mentioned the shamanic journey, um, and for those of us that don't necessarily know what that means, would you give us a brief description of what exactly is the shamanic journey, and what all can you do with it? Okay, that's great. So, the shamanic journey. Uh, and I'm a visual journeyer, so I'm going to use visual language, but bear with me, is a way to step out of your ordinary way of experiencing life into that larger sense. It's done through the metaphor of traveling somewhere, which lets me know it's as old as our hunter-gatherer ancestors. They would travel every day from a central fire, get what it is they need to survive, bring it back, and implement what they gathered. The same is true about the shamanic journey, listening to an auditory stimuli or uh, dancing repetitively or any, any repetitive stimulus to the body, to one of the senses or, or all of them, if you're doing your own drumming and dancing, can help to actually switch our brainwave states, switch out of the ordinary linear kind of mind into that more expansive uh, mind that is not linear that is spacious. And the metaphoric way we do that in a journey is we feel as though we are going somewhere. We are going to meet beings that we have developed relationships with, whether they be human form teachers or teachers in a different form. We gain what it is we need 
from their perspective, we may receive a healing. We may receive any, any manner of experience there that is beneficial to us. And then we retrace our steps to come back to ordinary reality. So it becomes on a physiological level, you are building basically, basically a neural um, superhighway. At first, our, when we build a new part of our neural network, it's a kind of bumpy back road and it's kind of skinny and, you know. But the more we practice that, moving back and forth, that, that neural pathway becomes very robust. So it becomes easier and easier and easier. So if we're talking about brainwave states, um, what is actually going on with our brain waves when we're doing this neural pathway? What um, where do, do they change? At what state do we feel that we're in a journey? And then is the journey coming back and forth from the different levels of, um, of consciousness as far as brain waves go? It, that's exactly right. You, the experience we have on a physiological level is we go from our awake state to this high alpha and theta wave state. And everybody experiences theta. It's that kind of slightly muzzy uh, experience just before you go to sleep where you may have flashes of insight. You may have what feels almost like the scrap of a dream, but it's sometimes an answer to a question that you had in the daytime. And on the other side of sleep as you're just beginning to wake up, those are natural theta wave times. This is a way to induce that for the purpose of being able to access information when you need it, not having so, to. I'm sorry. And so when, when does, where does the imagination play in on this? What goes on with the imagination? Well, I think the, for me, the imagination is part, also part of our hardwiring. We give imagination a, a short shrift in our culture in the same way that we may give dreams a short shrift. These are ways that we get information. You know, it's the, the famous story is about the, the uh, Kerkula, who the, was the scientist trying to figure out how the molecule of benzene was formed. And he tried all different things and he could not figure out how the benzene molecule was actually organized. And he went to sleep one night and he had this dream. And the dream, I'll just shortcut it, but the dream that he had was of the Ouroboros, the snake biting its tail. And it came to him so vividly. He came you know, back to consciousness in the morning and he started to scribble you know, possible ways. And indeed, the benzene molecule is a ring molecule. And he had tried everything using his waking state. And then when he was in the dream state, here it came. So I, I think it's ways that we can receive wisdom. Our imagination, our dream state, journeys. I like journeys because it's not like I'm asleep. I can go when I need to go and come back and then implement it right away. Although you, I you, do, go ahead. You made, you made an interesting point. You've spoken several times about metaphorical representation. Is the information that we get in these dream states, like dreams, uh, partially literal, but also a lot of it metaphorical? And if so, how do you tell the difference? You learn through experience of being able to tell the difference. The, the metaphoric state is also, the metaphoric experience is really also hardwired into us. Our ancestors for most of our history on this planet did not have written language. They told stories in order to pass on wisdom. And they told stories that were vivid in terms of their imagery or um, in some way memorable. And we are again, wired with our nervous system to have experiences that are similar to ordinary reality. So well, we're going to have to, once again, take, take a break. We'll talk about ordinary reality and symbols on the other side. Evelyn and I will be back shortly to continue this discussion. So don't go away. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to find past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. The future will be amazing, and that's all well and good. But what about today? 
you can feel the rush of a 400 horsepower Nissan Z. Or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Evelyn Reisdyke. Her website, www.spiritpassages.com. Evelyn, we were having fun talking about, you know, the, the journey state and how you get there, uh, how it relates to dreams. Let's back up a little bit or go forward a little bit. And how does it relate to creativity? You mentioned that you had quite the experience coming out of depression as a result of the journey state of consciousness. So how does it relate to us accessing our creativity? So I have to preface because I was trained as an artist. I was a visual artist for half of my life before I became a writer and who illustrates her own books. What I discovered is somewhere in this process of journeying often over the last more than 30 years, my creativity, and I thought of myself as a very creative person, did lots of things, including metalsmithing and, I mean, you name it. I realized that something kind of exploded it to be much bigger than it ever was. And it, at first it was like, you know, I gave it the, the eyebrow, like, hmm. But, you know, what I recognized is there's something about expanding awareness into that large sense that feels to me like when creative energy is really, really rocking in you, when you have that experience of time not passing in an ordinary way, you're so engrossed in the process of whatever it is that you're doing with your creative energy that nothing else matters. You know, you're, you're transported to this different experience. And I, so I started to do research about what people are talking about in creativity. I never thought to do that before, but it always bugged me that a lot of people that are creative are not considered the creatives. You have to be an artist or author or a playwright or blah, 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 in order to be considered, you know, a creative person. And I don't believe that's true. I think every one of us has an, uh, an inherent onboard creativity and it was passed to us by our ancestors. If they were not creative, they could not have solved all the wild problems that survival entailed when they were hunter-gatherers and early agriculturalists. They would have disappeared as a species because there was so much that they had to do as they traveled around the globe to new areas. Well, you know, Evelyn, here we are. And some people believe we're about to disappear as a species, uh, given the global warming and all the crises we're in. How can this help us now, this ancient form? How can this help us now? Uh, that, that is the point of the book. <laughs> so for me, I, I see us as 8 billion people that if we had our creativity turned on and learned to exercise it, that the solutions that we need are right here. They're right here in our, the brilliance of our 8 billion selves the capacity to dream new things into being, to have these extraordinary leaps of uh, creativity, to have the experience of recognizing also in those expanded states that everything is alive and worth saving. So to me, they, they really are interwoven that expanded states, you experience them also in uh, creative, when you're in creative mode, problem solving in that way, and you experience them in shamanism, and they tend to, um, what's the word I want to use? Raise up both of them. 
So if you're practicing shamanism and practicing journeying, you will find that it's easier to access your creativity. If you're somebody who is a highly creative person, you will find it easy to make that transition to expanding consciousness with shamanism. They dance together beautifully. So are you are you telling me that if you're in that creative mode, you're close to close to or in the same brainwave state that you are when you journey? I think you hit a lot of different brainwave states. So if you are using your technical ability as part of your creativity, you're going to be using more of your ordinary mind and the skills that you learn. But those those ideas that seem to come out of nowhere or you suddenly find a solution just smack you to a problem that you've been ruminating on, on a, on a particular project. That's what I'm talking about where it just arises from that larger sense of who we are that is connected to everything. And we can never combine and we can never think of the technical part of creativity as creative energy. You can learn how to be a brilliant technician and never really fully express your creativity and vice versa doesn't seem to work that way. If you work on your creativity, you will naturally be drawn to work with new tools and, and master them. So how does the shamanic journey um, and opening up your individual creativity impact the whole? How does it benefit us as a collective? Well, I, to me, it's probably our best bet for getting out of the jam we're in. You know, technology in and of itself, as it stands now, will not save us. What will save us is us changing and us stepping into the larger sense of who we are. And it doesn't take all 8 billion. A meta paradigm shift in any population is, is possible when the square root of 1% of that population really is living in that new way. Oh, that's a phenomenal well, number. Where'd you come up with that? That's actually from Peter Russell. He decoded that whole idea of the hundredth monkey into okay. a formula. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the square root of 1% of 8 billion is something like 8,500 people. And not 8,500 people that have it intellectually or that do it sometimes, but have stepped fully into that expanded, creative way of being where they recognize both that they're, they're mortal and and you could use the word divine, but limited and also expansive simultaneously. I think that's the prize we're all going for. We incarnate over and over and over again to be able to savor a ripe strawberry while knowing that we are connected to everything in star stuff, that we have an expiration stamp on us somewhere we can't read. And yet the atoms that, are, that make us and the elements that make us will be around forever. So Evelyn, I've got I've got a question for you and yeah. no no mission evolution episode is complete without my asking Evelyn what is your mission My mission is to inspire as many people to step into their fullness where all the pains and struggles that they've had in life take up a much smaller space inside of them and the brilliance and extraordinary aspect of their nature fills up more of them that's a beautiful, beautiful and worthy cause. So what is your vision of shamanism for the future? To me, it's one tool of many. It's a tool I happen to like that can help us to take the next leap in our evolution. You talk about evolution all the time. We need to take that next step beyond living in our small, in our heads, running our life with joysticks stepping into this larger sense of who we are, the larger sense of compassion, the larger sense of interconnection, the larger sense of we're all in this together, every one of us as human beings and every other species. We are in a closed system like a terrarium. Our atmosphere enfolds this planet and we're all inside of that, just like plants and little critters in a terrarium until we really understand that every aspect of that is what helps to keep it balanced, that allows all of us to live. Until we get that, we aren't yet our fullness. And I think we're sort of teetering on the brink right now. 
we're, we're not sure if we want to fall back into uh, just hiding behind mommy's skirts or having a big daddy tell us, you'll be okay. And being the ones that go, no, I need the bigger vision to know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. I need the, vis- vi- the vision to know who I am. That's, that's um, a phenomenal thought is for us all to open to the bigger vision of who we are. And I, so much would be solved if nothing but that happened, wouldn't you say? I agree completely. So where can a person, you know, we're just about out of time in this entire show, unfortunately, but you've spoken a lot about journeying. Is that something that your average person can learn? And how much time are they going to be committing to do so? It's a matter of learning it and then practicing it until you feel comfortable with it. Some people sit down at the piano, learn to play very quickly. Other people have to practice for a while in order to get better at it. So I would say it's like any other skill. You have the technology in your body to be able to do it, in your mind to be able to do it. And it's just about finding a way, whether it be a book or a teacher, to show you how you can do it. And then you're on your own. Well, it's a, it's a phenomenal skill and it's much needed right now. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Evelyn, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always such a pleasure sharing time with you. Uh, same here. Thank you very much. You take care out there now. Our guest this hour has been Evelyn Reisdijk. Evelyn is an internationally recognized shamanic practitioner and best-selling author. Her latest release, Shamanic Creativity. Her website, www.spiritpassages.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to visit past archived episodes, please visit www.missionevolution.org. And I also love to hear from my listeners in info at missionevolution.org. Please be sure to join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to a rapidly evolving world. Thank you.